Well, how we doing, folks? How are you? It's good to be back. Hope you're having a good morning commute to work. If you're listening to this in the car or maybe uh, after you put the kids to bed. I don't know why you'd have to. They can listen to this, too. Bill Bay Bios, family friendly. It's for all ages. But anyway, the army. Today we're talking about Bill's stint with Uncle Sam. The time he spent in the army. (laughs) Basic training in Missouri. We also talk quite a bit about his time across the pond in Mannheim, Germany. Did some time over there. Quite a few excursions. So stay tuned. Stick with us. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Jim Bay. Thank you so much, Uncle Jim, for your donation. Got to spend a little time with the uncle here in Naperville. Nice little place Naperville is. Very quaint. Spend time with my favorite, uh, not, well, I don't want to say favorite uncle, I don't know. Well, I, I don't pick favorites. We have they're, they're all equally uncles in my eyes. And I got to see Maria, hang out with the cousins, Josh's birthday. This is what you wanted to hear. <laughs> Shouts out to Casey and Maria. They put on a good time and Allie too. And the whole, the whole Maria, <laughs> the whole Maria, the whole Roca Bay, what have you family. Good times. Anyhow, I forgot to mention last time we have a Facebook page. So go on Facebook right now and look up a Bill Bay biography. If you want to catch up on any news or see some photos that I posted here in my times in Chicago. So, please, support the show. Go look at it. It's just me there. I'm just posting everything. But anyway, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Bye. So, the last time we were talking, it was about how you were worried about getting drafted, um, and you were hustling to get out of Northwestern in three years because you didn't want to go to the army but then after you graduated you did join the army right no i was <clears throat> no the, the story is that when you're 18 at that time uh you were submitted to a lottery and the lottery um based on uh how it came out and and your date of birth um they had 365 numbers uh and they were randomly selected uh, and the lower the number you had, the more likelihood you had of being drafted. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember my number, but I do remember it was low enough that if I hadn't been in uh, school or married, I would have been drafted at that time. <clears throat> but I was able then to get a deferment uh, until I finished school. And I assume if I'd have gotten married then in between and all that, I may continue to be deferred. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But the result is I knew for sure because of my low number that I would be uh, subject to going into the military at uh, the end of my school term. I see. And I knew that the draft uh, time was two years. And if you chose to become an officer and you were accepted and went through the training program, uh, you would obviously have a better life in the military, but you would have be there for three years instead of two years. 
and so um, knowing I would have to give two years of my life uh, to the uh, to the government, for want of a better way to put it, uh, I decided to get through college in three years and gain a year. Okay. So when I got out of school, <clears throat> I got out of school in August of 1954, um, and. Uh, Went to work for Pete Marwick Mitchell at uh, $325 a month or $75 a week. And the reason I, I went with Pete Marwick versus some of the other firms is that they paid for overtime time and a half. Mm -hmm. Whereas most of the other public accounting firms made you use the time that you worked excess during the winter months to take off during the summer months. But <clears throat> me being a person who wanted the money, I just figured that it would make more sense for me to get time and a half and I'd get my two week or three week vacation anyway. Okay. So uh, I was, uh, I was uh, off then from um, August until April of, um, of 1954, 55, excuse me. Uh, and during that period of time, um, I worked for Pete Marwick Mitchell, <clears throat> knowing that I would have to go in to the service. And so um, rather than waiting until they actually called my number, I decided in April that I would, quote, volunteer uh, for the draft. Um, everything remained the same except that they started the time earlier which is because mm -hmm. I, I wanted to get it over with because I didn't want to be <clears throat> spending so much time uh, working uh, and then going and knowing I was going to put two years in into the army okay um, one of the interesting things is uh, uh, getting a summer job um, I, I knew uh, that I was going to be going into the military and uh, before I started at Pete Marwick, I did work in the summer just uh, for some uh, uh, company in downtown that uh, made uh, mosquito uh, equipment. And uh, my job was to basically um, use it and see how it worked. But <laughs> whatever reasons, uh, I, I ended up going into the military April 19th, <clears throat> a day I'll never forget, and a date I'll never forget, <laughs> um, getting on the... Uh, uh, subway, uh, leaving house, getting on the subway, and going down to the uh, recruitment center and uh, signing in. And uh, <clears throat> you spent the better part of the day actually getting uh, acclimated as to what the, was going to happen. And then around uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we boarded a train and went down to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Hmm. And we got there. Uh, in the early evening, uh, got off the train, and uh, it was kind of interesting because we went to our barracks, but before we did, uh, uh, we were lined up, and uh, uh, <clears throat> we were told, those of us that were unlucky enough, uh, were told that we were on fire watch. Mm -hmm. And fire watch meant you had an hour um, off at different times uh, to basically be up and be about to be sure there were no fires uh, going on in your barracks. To me, it was just a discipline type thing. Yeah. But in any event, uh, 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 there again, I learned the luck of the draw. I, I happened to draw 1 a.m. to 2 a.m., uh, mm -hmm. depending on where I was standing. Uh, 
somebody was would be like 7 to 8 p.m. and and others would be like uh, 4 to 5 a.m. depending on 7 to 8 p.m. or 4 to 5 a.m. depending on where you were standing. Did you feel like you were like ready for the military, like discipline-wise? Not at all. No. I mean, basically, um, the, I did know one thing, uh, uh, that uh, there was a, a movie out, and I'm trying to remember, Mr. Roberts, I think was the movie, where, um, uh, and I can't remember the name of the uh, actor, but uh, the, the ship was the Captain Quig, and it, it showed how he had to game the system to basically avoid getting uh, uh, selected for certain things and all that, and I, that was in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and so, anyway, I, uh, uh, being on the 1 to 2 a.m. shift, as things would be, Whoever was earlier didn't do the job, so I never got wakened. <laughs> uh, okay. so, yeah. so I lucked out there. But then what, the other thing I remember is the next morning we lined up for um, for breakfast. Uh, and we, we met outside the mess hall, and we were all lined up. And uh, uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, be, I think, about number five or six in line. I, had, I knew when we had to go to breakfast, and I knew there were going to be a lot of people, so I might as well get in line. Mm -hmm. And uh, as fate would have it, uh, they took the first 12 people and let them come in, but they became servers. So oh, okay. they stood behind the food, handing it out. They, know, they did not eat until everybody else had eaten. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I learned there being first wasn't necessarily always the best the thing. Best thing yeah. uh, okay. The other thing I learned, too, is being last was not all. And, and to me, in basic training, the smartest thing is to get through it without them knowing your name. Uh, and uh, like uh, I would be walking across a field or something like that, and I'd hear somebody holler out, and I knew he was hollering for me, but I, I, I just pretended it because he didn't say my name, and so I just kept walking, and then a sergeant would run over and he'd grab me and say, D didn't you hear what I said? Oh, no, sergeant, I'm sorry. I was thinking about something else. Yeah. Um, which was another way of basically uh, handling basic training. Um, mm -hmm. We also were in a uh, in barracks where uh, there were two stories, uh, two, two, uh, there was a lower bunk and an upper bunk. And of course I wanted to be in the upper bunk because uh, a lot of, everybody sits on the lower bunk because basically that's the only place you can sit. And so at least the upper bunk, nobody's necessarily sitting on it. Mm -hmm. And then everybody has a job. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to get the job of um, the Brasso guy, which means I had a Brasso can. And um, the only things that were Brasso were the light switches. And uh, they had urinals, which were built very long. And then there was a drain. And unfortunately, the, uh, the drain was brass. Uh, so my job, obviously, was to... Um, um, polish the uh, fixtures where the light switches were and the drain in the uh, that being distasteful but at least I had toilet paper I could get to handle it and, uh, right. and all that um, so you moved on to accounting eventually right well, um, the other like thing you got a job there yeah, let me finish the oh, other sure. thing that I remember too in the basic training was as you came out to go to, to, to mess uh, there was a um, 
a bar there which you were supposed to do chin-ups and you had to do overhand chin-ups not the up underhand chin-ups and yeah. you had to do 15 of them and oh, uh, needless to say I, I was unable to to do that and mm -hmm. then if you couldn't do that then you got on your uh, hands and knees and did push-ups but it was all dirt there of course yeah and so the first time that i went there uh, you know i did the uh, uh couldn't do the uh, pull-ups so i did the push-ups and then i turned around ran into the barracks and washed my hands and then i came running out to go to the mess and i was stopped by the same sergeant who told me what i had to do mm. i had to do push-ups and uh uh, if I couldn't do so I was forced to do uh, push-ups again uh, needless to say the next day I got to the PX which was on barracks and I got some of those hand things that you could put on your hands after you did the push-ups and mm -hmm. you knew you were not never gonna stop being doing push-ups to go get something to eat yeah uh, so you know it was uh, it was basic training was a way of really learning uh, how to uh, survive in a way where you were comfortable and uh, because the sergeants were clearly uneducated uh, military people who were the kinds of people who were not officers and they weren't necessarily fighting any wars either they their job was to uh, toughen us up as uh, as soldiers so uh, the, the uh, the thing worked pretty well, uh, and we got along pretty well. I got managed to get into the first platoon, which I wanted to be in, because uh, mm. that was, uh, I always looked at it this way. As we were marching, I had already finished what all the other people behind me hadn't done in terms of uh, walking or going through, uh, what do you call it, the, the stuff where they were, uh, we had basic training where they would fire weaponry over your head to, and you had to keep your head down as you mm -hmm. were going through it. Or, and many times at night you were in uh, tents and stuff like that. And, clearly a life i had never done yeah so it was a it was yeah you're a fish out of water yes. but you, you yes. never got your spirit broken yeah. and so uh, i was at the fort leonard wood first basic eight um and it was there that they give a test uh, to determine uh where you go for the second eight because uh, it's 16 eight, uh, weeks of basic training mm -hmm. and uh i managed to do very very well on the clerical aptitude test um I also was given the automotive test, and I remember the uh, tester saying to me if I know what a car looks like. And I told him, because I did so poorly on the automotive test, I <laughs> said, well, I know what a steering wheel is, and I know what a brake pedal is, and I, kn I know what a gas pedal is. But right. beyond that, and I know where the gas ca tank is if I need to get gas. But beyond that, I, I didn't have much interest. But when it came to clerical aptitude, I was off the charts as a matter of fact i finished the exam and went to turn it in and he said to me he said you know there's uh, questions on the back too of the paper and i said yeah i know that and he said well did you check your paper your your answers and i said well i, I think i did and uh, mm -hmm. needless to say i got done almost uh, 15 20 minutes before anybody else in the room mm -hmm. Which is why then they sent me to Fort Knox, Kentucky, okay. uh, and I went to clerk, uh, clerk's clerical school where they taught me how to type and they taught me uh, how to do a lot of other clerical things. And that became my basic uh, uh, forte when I got out of the basic training. Nice. So you were able to um, 
adapt there pretty easily to Fort Knox? Uh, the word easily is, is a relative word. Sure. I would say I adopted uh, at Fort Knox. Um, we, we, did, we did quite well. Uh, again, it was the trick of uh, getting... Uh, you didn't want to get too acquainted with the sergeant because if you got too acquainted with him, then you get called sometimes uh, to do things. And the best thing was to basically do nothing. And if you could uh, avoid that, it, it was funny as time went by and you'd line up for for a, a lunch or dinner or whatever. It, it, it looked more like a bell curve. It would be few people in the front, few people in the back, and a big bound to people in the middle because they had learned how uh, basically how it works so the trick was to not get called in and not be put to work uh, right. uh, cleaning up at the very end too which is mm -hmm. another yeah. garbage job here uh, <laughs> it's probably worse than serving yes but the other interesting thing that you should know about the clerk typist work uh, and that that school that i was in <clears throat> they had a rule uh, there were eight barracks, and each uh, barracks was in a different uh, week of the basic of the eight-week eight basic training, and so uh, one barrack was uh, week one, and one barrack was week eight of the basic training, and um, how you finished uh, in terms of your tests and we told. They taught us how M1 rifle works and all the other kinds of crazy things. Um, but how you finished on the clerical part of the uh, job, or the training, uh, determined where you would go when you got out of the second eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And um, they, the, what they would call them, they were allotments that came down at that particular week. And um, at the time, um, the Korean War was uh, over, but uh, it, uh, and it very well may have been going on because this would have been 1955. Uh, um, but <laughs> you didn't really want to go to Korea. That was not considered the thing to do. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be number two in my class. The guy who was number one was a fellow from uh, Montana. And, uh, and when the allotments came down, there was one to um, uh, Indiana, uh, the uh, clerical finance place at Indiana, Fort, ben Fort Benjamin Harris, I think was the name of the place. And he selected that. So he spent his whole military time in Indiana. Hmm. Um, the uh, other ones then came down. There were so many for Fort Dix, so many for Fort Knox, uh, Fort Kansas. Uh, and uh, I selected Fort Dix as mine because I knew it was on the East Coast. I had not been out there that much. And uh, I thought it was kind of an interesting uh, place to be near New York and all that kind of thing. What I didn't realize was that... Um, with the limited amount of money we made in uh, that you didn't have that much money to spend uh, when your leave time came or on weekends. And what happened in my case, um, they uh, sent me there, but as it turned out, the uh, unit I was sent to was in uh, Fort Drum, uh, uh, New York, which was a, a National Guard uh, training, uh, what do you call it? And with, at that time, if you were National Guard, you had to spend two weeks of active duty. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where the New York National Guard people did their training up at uh, Fort Drum. 
camp drum, as it was called. But um, so I would see every weekend their husbands and their girlfriends and all that, uh, wishing them goodbye and coming and picking them up and all that kind. Meantime, of course, I was stuck there until wintertime came. Yeah. And then I was back down at, uh, at Fort Dix. Uh, but uh, the bad part there, too, was that um, because we didn't have much money, we could only afford to go to New York at best one weekend a month. Mm. And even then, we had to be very careful where we stayed and how we spent our, our money. And the re- other three weekends of the month, why uh, we would sit in the barracks and uh, watch what was euphemously called motherfucking gun smoke. Uh, <laughs> it, it was... Uh, uh, and uh, as it turned out, this other fellow and I, we were one of the few people that were not native New Yorkers for whatever reason, or New Englanders. And so many of the uh, weekends, uh, people would get leave and their spouses or their friends would would pick them up or they'd go uh, and stay where they actually came from in terms of their uh, houses or whatever for a weekend, which is wonderful for them. But it turned out this other fellow and I, we were the only two or three that basically were there with a, a lot of African-American guys who just didn't really have any money and mm-hmm. basically would gamble their money away anyway and for whatever reason. So yeah. at one point then I said to the to the guy who uh, was with me, uh, I, I, I can't remember his name, I said, you know, this is ridiculous. We're spending all this uh, time here uh, on the weekends uh, watching TV and, and not being able to do anything. We don't have any money. We're far from home and all that kind of stuff. Uh, why don't we try to get on an allotment? Because one of the things that Fort Dix did is they would, they were the processing stations to send people over to Europe uh, and that area of the, of the world here. And so uh, most of the people, practically all, when they went to Fort Dix, if they weren't to be stationed there, were en route to an allotment, uh, on an allotment, going somewhere into Europe. And uh, I uh, managed to find out, because the job I had there at that time was uh, uh, a company uh, clerk. And so I, which meant you had to type up the morning report and it couldn't have a single error in it. If you made a mistake, you had to do it all over again. But what they would do is, um, Sometimes people couldn't, uh, didn't show up on time or whatever, sick or whatever, and they couldn't fill the allotment. So they needed to find people to fill the allotment, and they would look at local people who were on the, on the base who, who showed a, a desire to go. Or maybe they didn't care, but they would take them. And anyway, I convinced this other fellow, why don't we get on an allotment? And of course, he and I both applied, and company commander recommended no, battalion commander recommended no. But that didn't matter, because if they needed somebody, they'd take you. You'd fill in, yeah. Yeah. So as it turned out, uh, he and I were both uh, selected uh, to go (coughs) overseas. Um, I was selected to go to Mannheim, Germany. And he was selected for Reykjavik, Iceland. And uh, as fate would have it, I know he wasn't very happy because <laughs> I had convinced him we should do it. And to be honest with you, if I knew Reykjavik, Iceland was an alternative, I'd have been a little more cautious about the whole thing. Yeah. I just assumed it was regular Europe that we were going. Yeah. But anyway, then I was sent over on, a, on the uh, USNS Geiger, which was a troop ship going across uh, the Atlantic and the North Sea. 
in the month of February, and uh, the North Sea in February has uh, incredible waves and, and stuff like that. And there again on the USNS Geiger, they had five levels of uh, hammocks at that time. They were just basically hammocks, they weren't bunks. And I immediately got to the top hammock, uh, top one, because there was nobody uh, above me, and you had pipes and things like that, but at least you had some space there too, and you didn't have people when they were getting seasick throwing up on you, which is happening to a lot of people on some of the lower bunks. Yeah. So um, I ended up uh, on on the upper bunk, uh, one of the upper bunks, and then I can remember the first uh, <coughs> morning for breakfast, I I went and uh, got my. Uh, um, tray of food there and and set it on the uh, table and the table had, had little ridges around it but set it on the table to go get some uh, water and I came back it was on the floor because the uh, the ship was uh, weaving so much you would go into the men's room and they had the urinals which were basically trays and the slop would go from one side to the other as uh, mm. as the ship would move. You'd see the urine going one side to the other before it could actually get into the drains. Uh, but uh, the other trick was uh, to not get assigned any any duties. Um, and so uh, they would go by and, and uh, get uh, night watch or you'd get work you're supposed to do. And I was fortunate enough to... Uh, told uh find out or realize who was picking for daytime assignments and who was picking for nighttime assignments and avoiding them both and then telling each of them as uh as by they wondered about me as time went by i'd say i'm on nighttime duty oh okay and then the nighttime guy would say i'm on daytime duty oh yeah. okay so i never did have any duty and that's part of the fun i guess just trying to avoid <laughs> things uh you're invisible well and the other thing that i did is to avoid seasickness which was very very important because you'd just see awful cases of that I would believe it or not go up on the deck uh, and you could uh, there were certain areas you were allowed to go to and I'd go up on the deck and I'd sit there uh, and uh, the waves and the moving of the ship and all that you, you learn you don't fight that you kind of go along with it and I never did get seasick, uh, but I did see some horrible examples of it. And who knows if I'd have been working, maybe I would have gotten that too. But <clears throat> but anyway, we made it over the uh, over the uh, North Sea and uh, ended up in Bremerhaven, which is a uh, <clears throat> which was the port going into Germany. And then we uh, we ended up uh, on a train down to Mannheim, which is where my barracks was. Okay, so took a long rocky uh, uh journey ship over yeah. there yeah journey yeah. over so there so april was uh, actually i i ended getting there in in march of uh of 50 of uh, 1955 having gone in in uh april of no excuse me march of 1956 having gone into service initially april 55 and then spending the time in basic training camp drum and uh and uh, Fort Dix, and then uh, over to Germany. And did you go over there just with the sense of adventure? Like you just wanted to see more <clears throat> Yeah, I wanted to. I did. I really did. Um, I wanted, yeah. I, and, and at that time, it was 11 years after the end of the war. So <clears throat> there was still a lot of, of um, 
you could see a lot of uh, war damage yeah, uh, in some of the towns. Yeah, and and of course the people. Uh, you never knew whether you're getting somebody who was really a great believer in the Nazi theories or whether this is somebody who was abused and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Um, but it was uh, an opportunity to uh, see the country. And <clears throat> I'm going to say about, I don't know how many months after that, but I think it was at least a couple, three months, if not, I went out and bought a Triumph TR3, uh, <clears throat> which... Uh, it, it was. It cost 1868. I'll never forget that. Uh, if you bought it in the United States, it was 2675. Hmm. But uh, and it was a, a two-door uh, convertible, red, beautiful red color, black top. Um, it did not really have any locks on it. You had a sliding glass, not even glass, a sliding, whatever cellophane or whatever you call that material that you would slide, and then you'd reach in. And you, there was a cord that uh, uh, dangled that you would push, and then that would open the door. And so you, it had no locks on it at all. Um, but it would go, um, uh, at least uh, seemed to go, like about 100 miles an hour. And uh, and it was a small little thing. And in, in those days, the Autobahn had no speed limit. Uh, there were cars that were going 130, believe it or not, some Mercedes cars. Wow. And... Uh, and needless to say, if you hit somebody at that kind of thing, you're you're gone. Yeah, uh, but uh, that was another interesting thing. We were paying 15 cents a gallon for gasoline, uh, <clears throat> but our plates said U.S. forces in Germany. So we were, uh, we'd have to go to the certain station that provided that. So when I w- would do some real traveling uh, to other countries, in the car, I needed more gas, or I'd have to pay a lot higher price. So in order to save money, I got four or five gallon uh, containers of gasoline and I put them in the trunk of the car. Mm. Uh, So whenever any of the kids used to do something stupid, I would think back to what that was. Because, I mean, not only am I in a car which uh, uh, could get hit, now I've got 20 gallons of gas in the trunk of the car. Yeah. Uh, It's a bomb. It's a bomb. (laughs) So was it like New York where you could go out on the weekends? Yes. We were were allowed, um, actually at Mannheim, uh, we were allowed to leave the post um, at certain times, obviously, uh, depending on uh, who you worked for and uh, being there again I started as company clerk when I got over there but I ended up in the battalion headquarters as officers records clerk which was really a nice job because I kept all the records for the officers and got to know them quite well as a matter of fact a lot of them wondered why I wasn't an officer and I explained to them I didn't have an extra year to give I'd worked too hard to get it right. by going to college um, mm-hmm. But uh, you could you could go out on the economy, and uh, but you had to be back at a certain time uh, to be in bed uh, mm-hmm. in, in your bunk, and uh, um, and then of course when you had leave time, then you could really go bigger distances. Uh, and being an officer's records clerk, uh, the officer who controlled my leave time uh, was basically I had his leave time records, so. He and I came to a bit of an understanding as yeah. to how we were going to post the leave time, and I ended up with 
quite a bit more leave time than I was right. entitled to, but Could fudge so numbers. was he. But yeah. there were other things that happened that I didn't participate in, which I thought was interesting because we got paid at the beginning of the month. And needless to say, uh, a lot of people got into card games and, uh, and boozing or whatever you want to do it, where they'd run out of money mm -hmm. by about the middle of the month. And then there were the lenders there. Uh, and the rate was two for one if you borrowed uh, before the 20th of the month. And if you borrowed after the 20th of the month, it was three for one. So if uh, somebody needed $20, he'd have to give you $60 back at the beginning of the next month. So yes. there were some people who never really got a chance to much get on the economy because they were so much in debt all the time. I never played that game. I, I just I didn't feel right about that. Yeah. So... Uh did you is that in west germany Mannheim? yeah Mannheim is in west germany there was uh east germany at the time but you, it was closed you yeah, could you not get in there. there the only way you could get in and i didn't do it is you could take a train into berlin right uh you had the ability to do that uh, and i don't even know how how, how you did it because i didn't really have any interest in it uh, at that time. Um, yeah, because it was an eastern city, but still divided yes. in half. And right? Berlin was, was divided into fours because you had, uh, oh, that's right. you had uh, Great Britain and you had France, France. also. Yeah. Um, so Berlin would have been interesting to see, but it, in reality, we, we, we'd be limited as to where you could go in Berlin. Right. And it was a, a big deal to get there on this train, which you had to keep the windows shut shutters down or what you call curtains and you couldn't yeah. see what what was because it was in russian territory right um but my my fun was to i actually got down to to um italy rome and and got around to uh um, switzerland and got up to scandinavia got over to uh to um, benelux countries all on a car that i didn't have to lock overnight wow. uh, which Again, it's amazing that the car wasn't stolen, but uh, yeah. uh, it was. Uh, did you pick up any German while you were there? Uh, I did a bit. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I took um, I took a German uh, thing, but uh, there were some things that were very important to know. Um, the first thing that you knew when you hit a when you hit a town. You would say Vowister Bahnhof, which is where's the train station, because mm -hmm. the train station always is in the center of town. Mm -hmm. So uh, you would get directions then as to where, where the Bahnhof is. And then the uh, other one is when you wanted a room was Haben Sie ein Zimmer. Do you have a room? Um, and, uh, you know, then uh, there were other things that uh, do bis so Sharon, which means you look so beautiful and mm -hmm. being single, you know, you had an opportunity to say that from time to time. And uh, yeah. uh, uh, so, you know, there, there was things you could say, but I never really uh, embraced the whole language situation, sure. uh, just words that you needed. And amazingly, there was English was uh, as you would try to learn German they were trying to learn English and so you never had a chance to do too much German learning because they were busy getting English learning right uh, so it's an exchange of culture yeah right. except they they wanted it more than I did <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just wanted what I wanted not to learn the language necessarily right so did you find yourself like treated a different way just because you're American, like people were looking up to you? I or? don't know. I don't think they were looking up up to us. Uh, I think um, 
uh, there were obviously girls that were interested in getting acquainted with Americans on the, on the theory that that was a ticket back to the United States because to the extent that American would um, uh, marry a, a German gal and she would get back to the United States. We, I uh, got very comfortable with a couple. Um, one, of, one of my fellow soldiers was able to get his wife over to Germany, um, and they had an apartment and uh, in a nice building, and uh, I found myself over there a couple of times, or more than a couple of times, because she would cook and I'd get uh, really good food, as distinguished from getting uh, food at the mess hall. And uh, we even uh, went to, um, uh, to uh, Mannheim for Oktoberfest, uh, and poor Ralph, he sat in the, there was a back, uh, seat is the wrong way to put it, there was an area you could sit in the back of this car, and then uh, Marge and I were in the front, of course, I was the driver, and he sat in the back on this little stumpy thing that was in the back there. And we drove all the way down to Mannheim, I mean, down to uh, 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 Oktoberfest, which is in Munich. Uh, mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. Uh, and then we got to some of the uh, Hitler's places, too, where uh, he had Austria? His, no, in Germany. He, in had, Germany. he had the Eagle's Nest, and he had, uh, uh, there were some of the places where he would, were just reserved for him, but then they were open, of course. Right. And, uh, but not being an officer, there was some limitations. Um, Mannheim is about, I'm going to say, maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes from Heidelberg. And um, back in those days, there was a, a movie and a musical called The Student Prince. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Uh, very, very well and very, very popular. And it was shot in Heidelberg. It was uh, actually the story of Heidelberg and uh, how the student prince was, a, was a, uh, a prince who was going to Heidelberg University and all that. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was uh, interesting to see the castle, which was at the top of, the, of Heidelberg. And um, there was a bar there, um, which was big in the student prince. And so anytime anybody would come to Germany, especially uh, tourists from America, they would always want, that would be one of the stops for them. And so, uh, this other fellow and I, uh, I had the TR3, and he had a Mercedes 360 SL, which was a, oh, a heck of a car. He had paid, he had paid really good money for it. it. It had one of those doors that opened up on the on the roof, a sort of a I forget what you call those kind, like you're getting in an airplane, for yeah. example. He paid more than 1868. Oh for boy, that. <laughs> <laughs> but it went 130 or 120. I don't know, but certainly made mine put mine in the dust. But anyway, he and I. I would drive over there to uh, the bar there, and we'd we'd meet uh, American tourists who had come in, uh, especially if they were younger people and female. It would be nice to say hello and mm -hmm. have a have a drink together and and uh, and get acquainted about what uh, what uh, it goes on in uh, Germany for somebody such as ourselves. It was mm -hmm. really a, a, a nice thing to see. Heidelberg was a, a beautiful, beautiful city. Mm -hmm. um, but it, 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 we, we, the group I was in was a motor a, a club or motor pool. Um, 
Um, it was a motor unit, I guess that's the best way to put it. So um, everything that was done by the actual soldiers, as distinguished as nobody me, which was in administration, was at a motor pool. And we had, they handled a lot of trucks and a lot of different military vehicles. So when the um, uh, Hungarian Revolution broke out, which is hungry, Hungarian people were rebelling against the communists, our unit was sent to the border of uh, uh, Hungary, not into Hungary, mm -hmm. uh, but it was a show of force and all that kind of happy stuff. Yeah. I was not required to go. I stayed uh, at the battalion at that time. So, uh, But uh, it was the nature of, of the unit. Oh, and then another thing, I, I also had a, a special uh, area where I slept uh, with one other fellow who worked at battalion. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, in the uh, if you were not uh, in, in administration like I was and the rest of us who were, um, they uh, people in the unit were responsible for cleaning our room and cleaning all the hallways and uh, uh, urinals and the toilets and everything else at the barracks. Uh, all I was responsible for was my bed and uh, my locker, uh, uh, foot locker, and then there was another locker, uh, you know, which... Uh, there's a story there too. <laughs> One of the guys uh, who uh, had too much to drink here uh, uh, got into the wrong room, which is my room, with yeah. another guy. And the foot locker, uh, not the foot locker, the regular locker, happened to be uh, facing the same way as the urinal did in the in the uh, um, what do you call it? wherever they went to the toilet the casino, mm -hmm. I, I forget what the name of it is anyway he got confused and I woke up while he was peeing in my in my um, uh, my locker, locker yes <laughs> not a pleasant thing here <laughs> no um, and you found all your clothes in the toilet at the same no time. not they were <laughs> they were toilet ready uh, yeah. <laughs> so did you find yourself um, missing like you eventually you had to go back um, well I, I, I to be honest with you i um, i did find it to be a very long two years when okay. i when i hear somebody is going to prison for two years or whatever and it doesn't sound like much to me it sounds like something because the difference is you can't quit your job sure. you can't tell your boss to go to hell or anything like that you have to put up with um, a certain amount of regimen which uh, you can't do anything about uh, and uh, you uh, do find yourself counting the days until you can uh, come back and get out uh, mm -hmm. and because I had the car I was able to fly back uh, they flew me back to uh, New York and I got discharged at the Brooklyn Navy Yard which was uh, another story because it was during uh, right in the center of the Brooklyn subway system of some sort and I here I am with my all my uh, duffel bag and uh, trying to uh, maneuver my way through New York uh, people coming in New York people aren't, aren't the generous people in yeah. terms of being polite and so I was getting whipped around pretty bad they moved quickly yeah and but I did get my car uh, I, I, I and I ended up getting out actually about uh, two weeks early because of when I got back and when I 
got the car. But then I had a problem because now I'm in New York and I've got this Triumph TR3, which you can't lock. And um, I'm thinking, well, this is New York. This is not going to work. And I'm not even going to be able to sleep at night if I'm worried about my car. And I, I suppose I could go to a parking area and have them check me out and all that. But it never really occurred to me to basically um, think that I could do something like that and actually feel comfortable with the whole thing. So I happened to notice a um, Chevrolet dealer who had a, a convertible, a 1957 Chevy convertible, in the showroom window. And a nice-looking car, and I thought, oh, man, that would be a nice car. So mm-hmm. I drove my TR3 in and uh, managed to get a hold of somebody. And uh, still surprises me because, uh, um, and I don't know what that Chevy cost. I don't remember it, at least. But they were willing to trade me even. Um, so I went out of there with the Chevy convertible. I was able to park it. Uh, at wherever I parked it overnight without worrying about it. And then I ended up driving back to Illinois with that car instead of the TR3. Yeah. Uh, so I, and I know they had to do a lot of work on the TR3. They had to put locks on the doors for right. want of a better thing. Yeah. Uh, there were other things, I'm sure, that required by code, you know, in mm. the United States. So you stayed in the military when you got back to Illinois? Or? No, I was discharged you're at discharged. the Brooklyn oh, Navy right. Yard. And, uh, and I was discharged uh, about 15 days earlier than I would have otherwise been if I didn't have the car. And I got the flight back out of Frankfurt rather than a, a ship. Right. So... How quick were you to get back to work? Like, did you take like right. a uh, right away? I, to my knowledge, I I got back to Pete Marwick uh, fairly soon, uh, and uh, was anxious to get back to work. I I if I took any time off, I really didn't have any reason to take time off. I went, I was living with my mother when I went in, and and I she had moved uh, to a different place uh, while I was gone, and so I went to her house and. Uh, she had, they had a bedroom there, extra bedroom for me, and I was able to uh, get out of my clothes. Uh, I I don't remember, you know, going shopping for civilian clothes or all that. I do know that in those days you had to have a suit with a shirt and a tie, and and uh, actually you were supposed to even wear a hat in those days uh, if you were in public accounting as a auditor. Uh, Arthur Anderson had a very strong uh, dress code. You, you could, your shirt had to be either white or blue, and I was with Pete Marwick, but they tried to kind of emulate what Arthur Anderson was doing in mm-hmm. terms. You showed like you were a professional, for want of a better way to put it. Uh, yeah, it was like a uniform in a yeah, sense. Yeah. Okay. So you're back to work at accounting. Yes. And um, Yes, and I was a junior uh, auditor, uh, and uh, obviously, I had to uh, work for senior seniors, uh, and we were transferred to different jobs. Uh, I had a really nice boss uh, who had a team, and uh, and we got we got to some very interesting places. Uh, I do remember. I think uh, I may have told you about uh, uh, Ed Sullivan. Uh, did I tell you the Ed Sullivan story? Well, I don't think so. Uh, we were in... Uh, I would have remembered it. Yeah, we, we were in... <laughs> you do remember Ed Sullivan. Yeah, hopefully. the, the um, variety show house. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and um, we were in uh, uh, Drake, uh, Iowa. Uh, what the heck is the name? Uh, Des Moines. Des Moines, Des Moines Iowa, on a job. 
And uh, I was, uh, I'm going to say, on about the fourth floor or fifth floor. And I was alone at the time. I think I was out there doing a Beatrice Food uh, subsidiary or company uh, doing some uh, inventory work or whatever. And um, I guess Ed Sullivan was appearing uh, in Des Moines at some kind of a, a show of some sort. And um, uh, I got on the elevator, and there's Ed uh, standing there. And I said, hi, Ed. Hello. <laughs> and so <laughs> and then I didn't even engage him in a conversation at that point in time. And we got down to the second floor. And three women got on, and they went ballistic. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's Solomon, my God, it's Solomon. And this guy is, if he could shrink any shorter, he was in the corner. He was in a fetal position, practically, shrunken right. up. Mm -hmm. And he, I, he, for whatever reason, I'm sure he wished he could have taken some kind of an elevator otherwise mm -hmm. than that. But they were going crazy over Ed Sullivan. It's strange that like somebody who's in the public conscious so now, much. And they also, like, another thing about Des Moines, and if anybody here, Here's this who's from Des Moines and they're old enough they'll remember a bar called Ruthie's mm -hmm. um, and Ruthie was a very well endowed uh, young lady who could literally put two beer um, uh, bottles glasses or bottles, bottles uh, glasses, glasses on each one of her chests uh, and pour them and then serve them by kind of winching toward you and you of course you took the beer off her uh, the glass off of her chest uh, but she had quite a good talent in that regard that yeah, it's hard to remember or forget yeah. something like that and then the other thing there's one other thing i remember very vividly um, rock and roll music, which had not been a part of our uh, dialogue or anybody's, basically, uh, started, I'm going to say, somewhere out in the West Coast or maybe wherever it was. And uh, I forget uh, the name of the, the group that was so popular. Um, they were the original rock and roll people. Anyway, they were... They were, that music was going in Des Moines, Iowa, and it hadn't reached Chicago yet. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting, when I was through the job and I got back to Chicago, telling people, boy, do they play some interesting music out there. Yeah. And sure enough, uh, Bill Haley and the Comets was the name of the group. Okay. Uh, and uh, they were very, very popular. And uh, and it had a heck of a beat to it. And I, I really, really enjoyed Heard it. nothing like it. Yeah, it this was, was great. This is the late? This would be 1950, uh, well, I was out of the military in 57, so I would say it would be maybe 59 or 60. It was during a period of time I was with Pete Marwick and right. uh, as a junior accountant uh, out in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay, well, I think, um, I think we'll just stop there for now and uh, pick up when you uh, meet the, the woman of your life. Uh, oh, God, there's a lot more than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and... Um, 